Amen. Lord, we thank you that you are a God who does have arms of love. Lord, that you love us so very much that you'd rather die than live without us. You sent your Son to suffer, that we might have eternal life. Lord, I pray as we go to the Word tonight, that again, you would be our teacher. We're desperate for you. Without you, we can do nothing. We love you so very much. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. If you're here tonight and you don't have a Bible with you, please raise your hand. And we will be happy to loan you a Bible. As a matter of fact, if you need that Bible, please take it home. It's our gift to you. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by Word of God. So we want to read the book. Don't wait for the movie, right? Amen? All right, open your Bibles to number 16. We're continuing our verse-by-verse study through the Old Testament. We've got a a nice, thick chapter tonight. So praise the Lord for that. You've got to love the Bible. Just to catch you up real quick, again, Genesis, we saw creation and man fall into sin. In Exodus, we saw that man was in bondage. Uh, Children of Israel were in bondage in Egypt, and God sent a deliverer in the person of Moses who delivered them out of bondage. Bondage in the Bible is a picture of sin. And we saw that God used a man by the name of Moses to be a deliverer to deliver them out of sin, out of bondage in a sense, a picture of sin for us. Now we also saw that God called Moses a man who did not feel equipped, just like God wants to use us. We don't feel equipped. Those are people God can use. Those who think they've got it all figured out and all going on are the ones God doesn't want to use. We need to be desperate for him that God might use us for his glory. We saw then that they exited uh, Egypt and the final plague was which? Which plague was the last one? Who remembers? Passover, angel of death. Now you remember that again, the Passover was a picture of the cross. That they had to take the blood of a firstborn spotless lamb. They took a hyssop branch and they sprinkled the blood in the picture of a cross, the same four places where Jesus bled from, at the foot, at both feet, and where the crown of thorns was. And if the blood of the Lamb was applied, then the angel of death passed over and they were delivered from judgment. Just again, a picture of us, that through the shed blood of Jesus Christ on the cross, we're delivered. I find it interesting that you couldn't just shed the blood of the Lamb, but the blood of the Lamb had to be applied to the door. Just like you can't just believe that there is a Jesus Christ, you can't just believe that there is a God, that there is salvation available to people, you must apply it to your own life. You must be born again, is what Jesus told Nicodemus, the most religious man of the day. So we see through Exodus, they've been delivered out of bondage, and now they're headed to the land of promise. But before that happens, they spend a year encamped at Mount Sinai. And if you remember, that's where Leviticus, a month of that time was Leviticus was being delivered. And Leviticus spoke of the sacrifices. So we see the deliverance from bondage, and now the sacrificial system is put into place. Those of you who are here, every sacrifice points to, to Jesus. Every single one of them. All throughout the Old Testament, you see Jesus, Jesus, Jesus on every page. And so Leviticus, at the end of that month, it was now time for them to head to the land of promise. And if you remember that Numbers is a book of organization. God organizes his people. If you remember the first couple chapters, he organized them in camps. And they were told how to, how to encamp. And those of you who were here, we looked in detail at that. And when they were encamped, they were encamped in the shape of a what? A cross. If you remember that he had them line up a specific way and in the center of that cross was the tabernacle. Now in the tabernacle, the glory of God dwelt, the Shekinah glory, and they moved when the glory moved. When, when, the, when the pillar of fire or cloud moved, when the cloud moved, they moved with the cloud. And when the fire moved, they moved with the fire. They never moved unless God moved first. And then it was confirmed by the blowing of a trumpet. And so this was an 11-day journey from this Mount Sinai to the land of promise, Canaan. 
And it would have only taken them 11 days if they had just been obedient to God and marched according to His perfect plan. But as we've seen over the last few weeks, that 11-day journey became a 40-year death march. And the reason that it did is because they became faithless. And they stopped trusting in God's Word. Because if you remember a couple weeks ago, they were encamped at the outskirts of Canaan. And they were to enter into the land. Remember, God had promised them, that land is yours, it belongs to you, I want you to enter in. And what did they do instead? They sent in what? Spies. You remember that? And the spies went in, and that was an act of faithlessness. God had promised it to them. And the spies came back, and ten of them said, there are giants in the land. We're like grasshoppers. We go in there, they're going to devour us. And then Jacob and Caleb came back and said, hey, we can overcome them because God is on our side. And it's a picture of how if we look at things from a physical perspective in the world, we're going to be overwhelmed very often. We're going to get the world and say, oh man, we can't do it. But if we look at things from a spiritual perspective, we realize God is faithful and God is in control. Now last week in chapter 15, they had been banished in, in chapters 13 and 14. They were told they're not going to enter into the land of promise now. And now he's given instructions to those who would enter in at the end of that generation. At the end of that 40 years, when all the adult males 20 and over had all passed away, that young generation was going to enter in. And he gave them instructions last week, and he told them these things. He said, first of all, that they needed to submit to God's word, to reestablish the sacrifices, to remember the law and the commandments, and then he explained to them that righteous judgment would come upon rebellion. Now, he told them, guys, if you commit sin and you don't make sacrifices for it, you're going to reap the consequences of your sin. And that's no different than today. We're all sinners in desperate need of a Savior. Amen? All have sinned and come short of the glory of God, and all means you and me. We're all sinners. Now, we're going to get an object lesson tonight. It's interesting that he told them if you know, rebellion is going to come, and when rebellion comes, righteous judgment will follow if there's not repentance. And tonight we get a great object lesson on that as far as people being rebellious. And so I titled the message tonight, Interceding for Your Enemy, Praying for Those Who Come Against You. I don't know about in your life, but there are times when there are going to be people who persecute you for your walk, people who have a hard time with you, and they're the hardest people to pray for. It's real easy to pray for my mom and dad. It's real easy to pray for my kids. It's real easy to pray for my friends and the people that love me. But what about the people that, are, that attack me or the people that aren't so nice to me? Or the, you know, the next door neighbor that's got an attitude. Or whatever it might be, the boss down the hall that you know, just needs Jesus so bad. They're the ones we need to be praying for. And we're going to learn from Moses' example tonight because they're going to be coming after him full force this entire chapter. And when they come after him, I have to confess to you, in a few of these occasions, if I had what God had said, you know, I'll smoke these guys for you, Moses, I might have said, I think that's a good plan, Lord. Just wipe them out, you know. But we're going to see the heart of a pastor, the heart of one called by God to serve his people. In this chapter, we're going to see a clear contrast between Korah and his followers and Moses. Korah is a prideful, rebellious man, and Moses, it, said in God's, it says of him in God's word, that he was the most humble man on the earth. He was very humble. God gives grace to the humble and resists the proud. So tonight we're going to see questioning of authority. We're going to see Moses intercede on behalf of the people. After we see Moses' intercession, we're all going to, also going to see rebellion. And from that rebellion, we're going to see righteous judgment. And the righteous judgment is going to come in several ways. We're going to see the ground open up and people get swallowed. I would call that righteous judgment. The ground opens up and swallows you, that's not good, right? And that's what's going to happen because they're going to stay in rebellion and they're going to refuse to turn back to God. We're going to see fire come down from the sky. We're going to see the people murmur and complain. But all along, 
We're going to see Moses, the pastor of the most difficult church in the world to pastor, the one with three million whiners. We're going to see him continue to pray for them. And that should be our heart. That in the midst of difficulty, we should have a heart to intercede on behalf of those who so desperately need the Lord. So let's pick up in verse 1 of number 16 and begin by looking at the questioning of authority. Look at verse 1. It says, Now Korah, the son of Ezhar, the son of Kohath, the son of Levi, with Dathan and Abiram, the sons of Eliab, and On, the son of Peleth, the sons of Reuben, took men. Now let me tell you about Korah real quick. He's the son of Ezhar. Now, if, you, if you're not a, someone who studies the Bible a lot, Ishar has a brother named Amram. Amram is the father of... Extra bonus points tonight. Anybody have any idea who Amram's son is? Moses. Very good. Moses and Aaron are the sons of Amram, so that makes Korah the cousin of Moses and Aaron. So if he's a cousin of Moses and Aaron, guess what else that makes him? It makes him a Levite. So Korah is a Levite. Now, the Levites are the what tribe? The, the priestly tribe. And they were called by God, and they were given the opportunity to serve in the tabernacle. It was a great privilege and honor. They were the ones, if you remember, when we were looking in Exodus, that were called by God to pick up the tabernacle and carry it everywhere it went. They got to encamp closest to God's glory because they were serving in ministry. And Korah is one of these people. He's been blessed by God. But we're going to see that Korah is also a man who is going to be very jealous. Korah is a Levite. He's of the tribe of, the, of Kohath, as it says there. The Kohathites, if you remember, their calling was to carry the furniture. Remember, they covered it up. The priests would cover it up, and they would carry the Ark of the Covenant, and they would carry the golden lampstand. And that was his duty, and that was his job, and it should have been a blessing for him. But instead, instead we're going to see that he becomes a man who is very rebellious. He's going to rebel against God. He's going to be envious of his own cousins. Verse 2. And they rose up before Moses with some of the children of Israel, 250 leaders of the congregation, representatives of the congregation, men of renown. So, they're going to come and bring accusations against Moses and Aaron, and to do that, they want to raise up some guys, so they go around and round up 250 of the most well-known, well-respected men in the camp. Now, in, in the camp of Israel at this point, how many guys would you find respectable? I'm thinking about none right about now myself. Outside of Joshua and Caleb and Moses and Aaron, remember, none of them wanted to go into the land of promise. These are some of the same folks who were making a golden calf when Moses was up on the mountain. This is not, a, you know, this is not the A-team here, okay? They're, they're faithless people. And Moses has been used mightily by God to lead them, but we're going to see here that they're going to come against Moses. And they're going to come against him out of envy and out of jealousy. The word there, rose up, means to conspire against. They came boldly before them. There was no fear of Moses. Now, Moses is the same guy that came down from the mountain and was glowing so much he had to put a veil over his face. Moses is the same guy that God used to hold up his staff and part the Red Sea. Moses has been used mightily by God, and not that we worship Moses in any way, shape, or form because we worship God alone, but we are to, to submit to the authority God's placed over us. And they should have looked at Moses as, hey, God's using him mightily. Instead of attacking him, they should have been praying for him and holding up his hands and encouraging Moses. But instead of the rebellion, they're going to come against him. And they're going to question his authority. And they're going to say that he's rebelling against God when they themselves are. Look at verse 3. They gathered together against Moses and Aaron and said to them, You take too much upon yourselves, for all the congregation is holy. 
every one of them. And the Lord is among them. Why do you exalt yourselves above the assembly of the Lord? You take too much upon yourself. You know what, Moses? You've been serving way too long. We've had enough of you. We want someone else in charge. We, we don't want to follow you anymore. It's time to give someone else a turn. Now let me ask you a question. When Moses was called by God, how did he respond? Who remembers? Burning bush. How did he respond? In humility, and he said, I can't do it. You guys remember that? He said, I, I'm a man of, I, I, I don't, I'm not of good speech. I stutter. I'm not eloquent. Lord, send somebody else. He was very humble. But they come against him and say, you know, hey, look, at you've put yourself in this high position, Moses. Well, we all know it wasn't Moses who put himself there. It was God. Look at the second thing they say. All the congregation is holy, every one of them. Now, wait a minute. Last, didn't we see them just days earlier, maybe weeks earlier, sitting outside of Canaan going, well, we can't go in there. Weren't they saying that? Oh, we can't go in there. They're, they're too big. The enemy's too big for us. And so they weren't really faithful men. They didn't trust what God had said. They didn't believe His Word. They were faithless, not faithful. And, but they're saying, well, we're as holy as you, Moses. Let me tell you something. If anybody comes up and starts telling you how holy they are, they're probably not very holy. Amen? Because pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. And you know what? If we are holy, but we've been made holy, not because of our good works, but because of His good work on the cross. He paid the price and we're holy because of Him, not because of what we've done. We've accepted His great work and we're saved because of Him. And so we see here that they're promoting themselves and they're coming against Him even though they had just rebelled against God. And then lastly they say, why do you exalt yourselves? And again, it was God who raised up Moses. And it would be God who would bring Moses down. We know later Moses is going to smote the rock when he's supposed to speak to the rock, he's not going to be allowed to enter in to the, ch- to the uh, land of promise, but that's God's call, not man's. God raises him up, and God brings him down. And so while it was true that all the children of Israel were chosen, they were in rebellion. They were not all chosen to rule. It was not supposed to be congregational rule. You know, they're saying, hey, we're all good. Why don't we vote on this? Do you know you see nowhere in the Bible that they vote on it? Well, actually, you see one place where they vote on something. Remember when, after Judas committed suicide, and they, you know, they need to replace him. They cast lots for Matthias. Remember that? And what happened? He supposedly became the 12th apostle. Do we ever see that guy anywhere again in the Bible? He disappears. And Paul's referred to as the apostle, I believe, the 12th apostle. You know what? There's no voting in the Bible. We don't get together and vote on what we think God says. We don't need to vote. We've already got the answer edition right here. Amen? And the problem is when people start voting on things, they vote the Bible right out of, out of authority in the church. It's okay to live this lifestyle. It's okay to be this way. It doesn't matter what the Bible says because we voted on it as a congregation. These guys are coming and saying, Moses, you're the only guy in charge. We want to be able to vote. We're all holy, not just you. And we feel just as called as you are. And it's time for you to give us a chance to be in charge. Again, Moses said, hey, I'm slow of speech. He was a humble man. But we see the, this jealousy on the part of Korah. And he's thinking, in, no doubt in his mind, why should my cousins be in these positions and not me? You know, I have to carry the ark. They get to go in and see. You know, Aaron gets to go in and see it and make the sacrifice. I carry it around all day. I never, I mean, I've never seen it. You know, how come they're in that position and I'm not? Have any of you ever felt that way before? Thou shalt not lie, right? Okay. 
So, you know, we, we envy others. And we start to think, how come I'm not in that position? How come I don't have that authority? Here's the reality. God raises up and God brings down. Instead of striving in the flesh, why don't we just trust God? Amen? If God wants you there, do you think you'll be there? Absolutely. And if He doesn't, you don't want to be there. Don't strive in your flesh to attain things that God doesn't have for you. And again, Korah, questioning authority, striving for position, rebelling against God. You know, it's interesting, when you review the the history of Israel from Egypt to Canaan, you discover that, that the nation got in trouble every time they resisted the leadership of Aaron and Moses. Every time. Every time they resisted Moses, they got in trouble. Every single time. Because God had brought Moses. Moses was a man and he was a sinner just like all of us, but he was the man that God was using to speak to his children through. You've got to remember, they weren't carrying Bibles around yet. Amen? Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible. God used him. God wrote it using Moses' hand. So God, Moses was God's mouthpiece. And they could either accept what he said or go their own way. And to me, I find that real straight with people can either follow God's word or they can follow the popularity of men. We have a choice to make. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And as for we of us in this church, this is the authority. Amen? It's God's word. Faith truly does come by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Korah wasn't satisfied with God's calling in his life. He was assisting the priest, but he wanted to be the priest. He was pursuing position when he should have been pursuing God. He was rebelling against God. He was leading his cohorts into rebellion. Where else do you see that? Where else do you see someone in the supreme position, somebody who's, being, who's in, a, in a high position, comes against him, brings his cohorts with him, and tries to overthrow the one in, in power? Where do you see that? Satan. Isn't that what happened in, in heaven? Right? He comes along and he's got, hey, I want to be like the Most High. This Korah is being Satan-like. He's trying to take authority that doesn't belong to him, never will belong to him. Because remember, the priestly line was the sons of who? Aaron. And he was not a son of Aaron. And he could never be a priest. But he wanted to promote himself into that position, even though he wasn't called. Now look at Moses' response. How does Moses respond to his cousin? Look at verse 4. So when Moses heard it, he fell on his face. I'll tell you what, we, can, we should underline that in our Bible. When somebody is envious and somebody comes against us and someone is, is bringing false accusations toward us, our initial response in the flesh is to lash out. Who do you think you're talking to? I never did that. Right? That's the way we want to respond. But I tell you, I would love it if I could respond like Moses. And when that happens, just say, you know what? I'm going to seek the Lord. I'm going to pray. God, your will be done. Lord, I don't need to fight this. You fight it for me. God, you're a faithful and an awesome God. He didn't get in Korah's face. Instead, he fell on his. Amen? He didn't jump up in his face. He got in his own face instead. And he sought the Lord, seeking God's wisdom and direction and interceding on behalf of his cousin, who in this case is now his enemy. And he spoke to Korah and all his company, this is verse 5, saying, tomorrow morning the Lord will show us who is his and who is holy, and will cause him to come near to him. That one whom he chooses, he will cause to come near to him. Now I love this. It says, and he spoke. He didn't speak until after he fell on his face. Isn't that a great lesson to learn? Pray first, then speak. I'm I'm guilty of not doing that as often as I should. I often speak first and then pray and ask God to forgive me for what I said. Right? Right? You know, we often, we want to jump and just, we got to get in there instead of getting on our face and seeking the Lord and then speaking. Lord, what's your heart? 
What's your will? How do you want me to respond? Didn't speak until after he'd fallen on his face and sought the Lord. How much better our speech and our actions would be. And he said, the Lord will show us who is his and who is holy. Again, not voted on by men, but confirmed by God. He's the one who chooses. He's the one who calls. He's the one who raises up and he's the one who sets down. And so it's him that we turn to, not men. Verse 6 and 7. Do this. Take censers, Korah, and all your company. Put fire in them. Put incense in them before the Lord tomorrow. And it shall be that the man whom the Lord chooses is the Holy One. And then he says to them, You take too much upon yourselves, you sons of Levi. So the next morning, God's going to make it clear who is called by allowing, again, the divinely authorized leader to approach His holy presence. So in preparation, He told Korah to bring censers. Now, if you remember what a censer is, it's a thing that they use. They burned incense in it. And remember, it was very specific back in Leviticus, okay? How did they have to carry it? Remember, they had to go in and get fire from the altar. Remember, it had to be the altar of burnt offering. The bronze altar had to be. Because that's the place where what? Sacrifice took place. They took that fire and put it into the censer. The censer had to be made of gold because it represented the deity of Christ. They took incense that had to be made according to what was given in in Leviticus. And they put that all together. And then only the high priest, only on the Day of Atonement, could then take that censer into the holy place along with the blood and make the sacrifice. Now if you remember in Leviticus chapter 10, there were two young men who took censers in Who remembers? Nadab and Abihu. Remember those guys? They're sons of of Aaron. And what did they do? They got lit. It says in the text. That's Dave translation, lit. But they got lit, all right? And they were drunk. And what did they do? They grabbed their censers. They went and got strange fire and put it in there. And they went stumbling in. And what did God do to them? Who remembers? He smoked them. He killed them on the spot. Why? Because they offered strange fire. Two of them went in. There's only one great high priest. There's not, how many ways can we get to heaven? Jesus is the only way, amen? So if two guys are going in, that's a representation that there's two ways, but there's one way. And it must be the high priest, and it must be on the Day of Atonement, and they must come with the blood of the Lamb. And these guys went in with strange fire in their hands. Now these guys are being told to take censers that only priests are supposed to use. I'll tell you what, I would think some alarms would be going off right about now. Uh... I'm only supposed to touch the stuff when it's covered up. I'm not a priest. And uh, I saw what happened to those guys who did that last time. And I don't think so. But instead, because of their pride and their self-righteousness, and they think they're holy, they're going to go for this plan. Okay, yeah, that sounds good. It's a priestly function. Well, that's where we're headed anyway. And so, yeah, we're worthy to do it. And unfortunately, like we we saw with Nadab and Abihu, the the results are not going to be good. Because this is really blasphemy. Because they're not priests. There's only one great high priest. It's Jesus Christ. Only Aaron could enter in because Aaron was a picture of the Savior. And if they went in apart from it, the result would be death. He says, you take too much upon yourselves, you sons of Levi. He's telling them, God has a plan for your life. He's given you a special calling. But what you want to do here is not what God's called you to do. You're not the priest. You're not the high priest. You're not the one called to do this. You've taken too much upon yourselves. It's interesting that they said to Moses, you've taken too much upon yourself. And he turns around and says, no, you guys are coming against God's anointed and you guys are not the ones called to be priests. So now we're going to see Moses reminds them of their blessing. Look at verses 8 through 11. Then Moses said to Korah, 
Hear now, you sons of Levi. It is a small thing to you that the God of Israel separated you from the congregation of Israel to bring you near to Himself, to do the work of the tabernacle of the Lord, and to stand before the congregation to serve them, and that He has brought you near to Himself, you and all your brethren, the sons of Levi with you. Are you seeking the priesthood also? God had placed them in positions of great authority. They were encamped closest to God's glory, next to the tabernacle. They were serving in the dwelling place. They were standing before the, the congregation. And then he says, but you're also seeking to be, the, to be priest. Instead of being blessed where they were, they wanted something that God had not given to them. You know what I found in ministry, in about 17 years of ministry? Here's what I found. I found that in my own life, if I was just faithful to serve where God called me to be right now, that God would be the one that would move me to the next thing when it was time. I don't have to strive. I don't have to try to please men. I don't have to knock any walls down. I don't have to run around the church and tell everybody how much I'm doing. You see how much I did? Right? And so often we want to promote ourselves. You know what? If we just be faith, if you're teaching on Sunday morning to the three through five-year-olds, you just do that unto the Lord and you realize what a privilege and a blessing that is and you realize that that is as high a calling as being the worship leader or teaching on Sunday morning or being one of the assistant pastors or anything else. Most of you know, when I was four and a half years old, Mrs. Green in the First Baptist Church of Wilmington led me to the Lord. Praise God for Mrs. Green. Amen? And you know what? We need Mrs. Greens at our church. We need people that just say, hey, this is what I'm called to do. I'm going to do this as unto the Lord. And if God has more for me, praise God. But instead of being blessed and realizing, look at all God lets me do, they're saying, well, I want his position. I, I want to be where Moses is. God had already told them, no, the priests are of the line of Aaron. I don't care. I want it anyway. I want to strive for position instead of seeking after God. Again, may you and I as believers in Christ, born-again Christians, be content and thankful for all that God has given us. You're a new creation. The Holy Spirit lives inside of you. You've been adopted into His family. And He's given you gifts and He wants to use you for His glory. We've got the promise of heaven. May we rest in Him. Look at verse 11. Therefore, you and all your company are gathered together against the Lord. And what is Aaron that you complain against Him? He says you're gathered together against who? The Lord. Because when we come against God's people, we're coming against Him. Remember when Saul was converted on the road to Damascus? What did he say? Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who is he persecuting? Christians. But when you persecute Christians, you're persecuting Christ. And he says to them, you've come against the Lord. This is not God's plan. You're doing things according to your own will. You're striving for position instead of just seeking God's face and being blessed by where you are and how God is using you. You know, it says in the Bible, if God is for me, who can be against me? I also believe that you could take that and flip it around and say, if God is against me, who can be for me? Amen? If you're fighting against God, I don't care who's on your side. You're in trouble, and that's what's happening here. They're being envious. They want position. They're striving. And then he says, what is Aaron that you complain against him? Now, I find this interesting. Remember just a few chapters back? Who was it that came and accused Aaron just a few chapters back? Moses and Miriam. Remember that? His brother and his sister. Remember what happened to Miriam? Head to toe what? Leprosy. And then Moses went over and prayed for her and she was healed. You remember that? And I told you, if it had been me, I might have drug her through camp with a t-shirt on that says, talk trash about Mo and this could be you, right? Because she was speaking against Moses and she was struck with leprosy, but he did not 
condemn her. Instead, he prayed for her. And here we see the same thing. Now, it's interesting that he says, what has Aaron done to you? He's defending Aaron, who just weeks earlier was speaking against him. What an awesome guy Moses is. May we be content right where God has you. May we not murmur and complain. May we not say that we deserve more. I'll tell you what, I don't want what I deserve. How about you? I'm not interested in what I deserve. No thanks. I want grace. Amen? Thank you for your grace, Lord. That's what I want. Now we're going to see the rebellion of Abiram and Dathan. Okay, they're going to disregard Moses' words, and they're going to make false accusations. Look at verse 12. And Moses sent to call Dathan and Abiram, the sons of Eliab, but they said, we will not come up. Moses said, hey, send for those guys, tell them to come on up here, and they said, no, we're not coming. Now, does that sound like a submitted heart or a rebellious heart? These guys are rebellious. Pride, arrogance, and self-righteousness in their hearts, they saw no need to submit to Moses. A lack of submission results is equal, equal to rebellion. In a Christian, when I see somebody who's rebellious a lot, that's a sign of, of someone who's not very, either not saved or not very spiritually mature. Because we're to submit one to another, amen? We're not to lord it over people and strive for position and try to elevate ourselves. The Bible says if you want to be great in God's kingdom, learn to be what? A servant of all. A servant of all. And these guys are striving for position. They want to be served. They want to be in authority. Verse 13. And this is comedy. Look at this. It is a small thing that you have brought us out of a land flowing with milk and honey. What are you talking about? Where did he deliver them from? What place? Egypt. 400 years of bondage in Egypt. They were beaten. They were mocked. They were, they were uh, starved. They were enslaved. They were surrounded by idol worship, and they say to him, you've taken us out of a land flowing with milk and honey. Isn't it amazing the selective memory that, our li- that we have? We, again, I've talked about this before. We remember the good things. I remember when I used to go party with my friends. It was great. What about the headaches the next day? What about throwing up in the gutter? Yeah, that was just a blast. It was wonderful. I lost my job. because I was. Yeah, that was just great. And we, we have these selective memories where we remember the good things, and that's what they're doing. They're saying, oh, we were in the land flowing with milk and honey, and you brought us out here. Unbelievable. But again, false accusation, referring to Egypt, the place that they have been delivered from. He brought them out of a place of bondage, and they should have been praising God for him. Instead, they were making accusations against him. Look what it says. To kill us in the wilderness, that you should keep acting like a prince over us. Now, where would they have been at this very moment if they had just obeyed God and followed His command? Where would they be? They'd be in a land flowing with milk and honey. The real land flowing with milk and honey. But they rejected God and responded in faithlessness, and now they've been banished to the wilderness. Is it Moses' fault that they're in the wilderness? No. It's their fault. You know, when we're confronted with sin, we can do one of three things. We can make excuses, accuse others, or repent. It's the woman thou gaveth me. Right? It's someone else's fault. You know, officer, I was only going 90 because I was going with the flow of traffic, right? You know, making excuses, accusing, my, my accelerator was stuck. Instead of just saying, yeah, I blew it, right? We've always got excuses. And that's what's happening here, is they're pointing the finger at him. And they're saying, you know, we're in the wilderness. It's all your fault. No, it's because of your rebellion that you're living in the wilderness. When a person is rebel- rebellious, never rooted in principle, it's always rooted in pride. Lost perspective, pride, envy, 
And again, eventually they become totally blind. Verse 14, Moreover, you have not brought us into a land flowing with milk and honey, nor given us an inheritance of fields and vineyards. Will you put the eyes out of these men? We will not come up. Now, has Moses been putting eyes out? All Moses has done is lay down his life for these guys. When they were outside of God's will, do you remember when, when God said to him, I'll just start over with you, Moses? It won't be Father Abraham, it's going to be Father Moses, right? I'll just smoke all these guys and we'll start over with you. And what did Moses say? No, Lord. He interceded on their behalf. He did nothing but intercede and pray for them and minister to them. And how do they respond? Now, this could, could be encouraging to some pastors maybe, right? They're ministering to people and the people are going out on Sunday afternoon having a roast pastor, right? But here's the reality. Again, he knows what his calling is. On the contrary to what they accused him of, Moses had interceded for them. He loved them. He ministered to them. He viewed them as a ministry. And again, these guys were making excuses. And they chose to accuse Moses rather than examine their own hearts. Look at verse 15. Then Moses was very angry. And again, it took a lot to make Moses angry. And I believe this is righteous anger. Moses was very angry and said to the Lord, Do not respect their offering. I have not taken one donkey from them, nor have I hurt one of them. You know, Moses, where does he go, where does he go to make his testimony? Before the Lord. He goes to the Lord and says, Lord, you know my heart. You've seen me. I've never taken anything from them. I've done nothing but minister to them. Lord, don't accept this offering that they're going to bring because, Lord, you know my heart. You know where I'm really coming from. May, again, in times of frustration and anger, never lash out at men with vengeance, but come before God with intercession. Again, come before Him and share your heart. Now we're going to see God's righteous judgment for the rest of the chapter. Look what it says in verse 16. And again, we're going to see the judgment come upon those who are rebellious against Him. First of all, we're going to see that, that this offering is unacceptable. Verse 16. And Moses said to Korah, Tomorrow you will with all your company be present before the Lord, you and they as well as Aaron. Let each take a censer and put incense in it, and each of you bring a censer before the Lord, 250 censers, both you and Aaron, each with his censer. So every man took his censer and put fire in it and laid incense on it and stood at the door of the tabernacle of meeting with Moses and Aaron. And Korah gathered all the congregation against them at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. Then the glory of the Lord appeared to all the congregation. So can you imagine this scene? So what has happened here, you've got the 250 guys with their censers. You've got Korah there. Dathan and, and um, Abraham are back still hanging out. They wouldn't come up, okay? We're not coming. But Korah's there with the 250 guys, and according to the text, he brought the whole congregation out to see this. He's saying, hey man, it's going to be great. Moses is finally going to fall. I want everybody to be there when I get elevated. So let's bring the whole congregation out, and they're all standing there around waiting for the Lord to appear and bring judgment. You know what's scary? Is they truly believed that they were going to be justified. They truly believed that God was going to show up and they were going to be elevated somehow. Somehow God was going to go, yeah, you're right, you're more holy than him. You know, never mind what I said about the, about the line of Aaron. I'm going to change things just for you. You know what, I do a lot of counseling where people say, yeah, but the Bible says that, but God's got a special program just for me. Can I tell you something? God does not have a special program just for you. God's word applies to every one of us. Yeah, I know she's not saved, but she's fine. Right? I know, that, I know that I shouldn't be doing that at work, but hey, you know, it'll give me a promotion and God's got a special program with me. It's okay. No, it's not okay. 
We need to obey God's Word. And these guys are coming thinking that somehow, through this testing by fire, that God is going to raise them up. This is no different than the testing by fire in 1 Kings chapter 18 on Mount Carmel. You remember that story? The prophets of Baal and Elijah. You remember that? And the prophets of Baal were convinced that their God was God, and they marched around and around and called fire down in the sky, and nothing happened. And then Elijah prayed, and the fire came down. You remember that? And then all the prophets of Baal were killed because it was a trial by fire. This is going to be another trial by fire, very similar. They're waiting to see what God is going to do. And again, Korah, this man of great influence, brought all these people with him. He's like, look at the crowd behind me. Moses and Aaron are all by themselves over here. There's only two of them. Look at the crowd behind me. And often we think that God somehow, you know, it's, it's, we vote on it. And it's the, you got more people on your side, so you must be right. If God is for us, who can be against us? You plus God is a majority. Remember that. If it's you and God alone and everybody else disagrees with you, you're still on the right side. And Moses and Aaron truly were on God's side. So they're waiting for God to come and judge. Verse 20 and 21. Now look at this. And the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron saying, Separate yourselves from among the congregation that I may consume them in a moment. How does God feel about this? Is there any doubt what he thinks? He says, Moses and Aaron, step back. Move back a little bit. This could get messy here. Just want you to move back. And I'm just going to smoke these guys right where they stand. Now again, if you're Moses and Aaron, you got these guys lying about you. They're, they're, they're rallying your church against you in a sense, right? Not, not literally, but it's like he's the overseer of the people, almost like a pastor. And, and there's people out there telling them, Moses is this, and they're all raising up against him, and they got all these rabble-rousers coming against him. And it would have been very easy for Moses to say, you know, Lord, I think that's a good plan. You know, who am I to question God? That sounds good. Why don't you just wipe them out? We can start over with the young ones. These guys are going to be wandering in the wilderness anyway. Let's just take care of them. And get rid of them now as opposed to 40 years of dragging them around. Let's go ahead and do it. He doesn't do that. What does Moses do instead? And I love this. Look at verse 22. Then they what? They fell on their faces. Moses didn't say, go God, go get them. That sounds good. Take care of them, Lord. Go after them. They deserve it. Instead, what did he do? He fell on his face before the Lord and began to intercede on their behalf. What an awesome guy Moses is. May we have, be more like that. Be more gracious towards those who come against us. Now remember, why are these guys going to be consumed by God? Let me tell you why. They had the wrong censer. It was made of bronze. We're going to see in a minute, not gold. Gold is a picture of deity. Bronze is judgment. Wrong incense. They had incense they brought from Egypt that was, that was used in, to be burned to idols. So they had the wrong incense, the wrong censer, they had the wrong fire. They didn't get it from the altar. They were the wrong guys. They weren't priests. And they came in before God. If you come before God any other way but through Jesus Christ and His shed blood, judgment's coming. If you try to get there on your good works, you try to get there because you go to church every Sunday, those are good things. Going to church and doing good works are great, but those are fruits of salvation. Those are not things that earn you salvation. We've talked about this. Salvation is a free gift. If you had to earn it, it would be a paycheck. Amen? It's not a paycheck. It's a free gift. We're saved by grace, not of works, lest any man should boast. These guys come in, they bring their stuff, they're trying to do it in their own way, outside of God's will, and God is ready to bring judgment against them. But look what it says. They fell on their face and said, O God, the God of the spirits of all flesh, so one man sin and you be angry with the whole congregation. So who are they pointing at? Korah. 
Korah is the instigator behind this, Lord. The rest of these people, show mercy upon them. Should all the people pay for the sins of one man? And so they, again, are seeking God to be merciful. Now watch God's righteous judgment. It's what happens here. God's going to swallow them up into the, with the, in the ground. Look what happens. Verse 23. So the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the congregation, saying, Get away from the tents of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. So the word comes down. God warned the Jews, Move away from those who are in rebellion. Don't hang out with these guys. Don't, don't spend time with these guys who are bagging on authority. Don't spend time with these guys who are trying to come against God. You get away from them. You know, that's, a good, that's good counsel for all of us. The Bible says, can a man hold fire to his bosom and not be burned? The Bible says the bad company corrupts good morals. We're to, have, we're to minister to the world but have no fellowship with it. We're to minister to people at work. We're to love them. We're to share Jesus with them. But we're not to have our best friends be unbelievers. Why? Because bad company corrupts good morals. He tells them right here, these guys are in rebellion. Get away from them. They're rebelling against God. Don't hang out near their tent because it's going to taint you. It's going to have an impact on you. You know what? I said this when I was a youth pastor for years. I've said it to you many times. You want to know what kind of person you are? Look at the people you're hanging out with. You become like those you hang out with. If you're hanging out with a bunch of Jesus freaks who are sold out for God and loving the Lord, that's probably what you are. If you're hanging out with people that the whole passion is money or their career or whatever else it might be, that's probably who you are. Now, God, again, we're not self-righteous. We don't say, oh, you're a sinner. I can't hang out with you. Right? That's not it. We love those people and we pray for them and we minister to them. We pray for opportunities to share the love of Jesus with them. But that's not who we go to for counsel. And those aren't the people we hang out with. We minister to them, but we have no fellowship with them. The Lord says, depart, get away from these guys. Don't spend your time with them, verse 25 and 26. Then Moses rose and went to Dathan and Abiram. The elders of Israel followed him. Remember, they stayed back. They didn't come up. So he went down to speak to them. And he spoke to the congregation, saying, Depart now from the tents of these wicked men. Touch nothing of theirs, that you be consumed in all their sin. Again, don't hang out with these wicked guys. Don't be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Don't think that God's got a special plan just for you to hang out with people who are living in the world. God has another plan for you. He wants to surround you with people that love God and people that can encourage you with your walk. People aren't going to encourage you to sin. You know what? I want to have friends who love me enough who will get in my chest if necessary if I'm blowing it. Amen? In a loving way. Bro, Pastor Dave, you know what? When you were talking to that guy, you were kind of harsh. Hey, you know what? I saw how you, how you addressed those people. That wasn't good. You know, I, I heard the tone you used with your wife or with your kids. You know, that wasn't... You know, we need people like that who love us enough not to do it self-righteously, but to hold up our hands and encourage us. And he said, you get away from these guys because, again, bad company corrupts good morals. Don't stay near them. You're going to be correct, corrupted. Verse 27. So they got away from around the tents of Korah, Dathan, Abiram, Dathan, and Abraham came out and stood at the door of their tents with their wives, their sons, and their little children. Man, this is a heavy sight to me. So everybody else fled, and these guys came out, and they're standing at their tent, and they got their whole family with them. Now, could they have heeded that warning too, do you think? He said, get away from their tents. Could they have sent their children away? I think they could have. But instead, they all stood at, the, at their tent, almost in defiance. Moses came and said, get away from them. It's not going to be pretty. Get away. And they stood at their tent, almost defiantly, with their families. We're staying right here. We have nothing to fear. 
Well, there's no fear for those in Christ Jesus, but if you're outside of God's will, there's plenty to fear. Look at verses 28 through 30. And Moses said, By this you shall know the Lord has sent me to do all the works, for I have done, not done them of my own will. If these men die, die naturally like all men, or if they are visited by a common fate of all men, then the Lord has not sent me. But if the Lord creates a new thing, and the earth opens its mouth and swallows them up with all that belongs to them, and they go down alive into the pit, then you will understand that these men have rejected the Lord. Now that's pretty specific. He doesn't say, hey, if these guys live 80 years or so, that, but if something happens to them along the way, then maybe... He says, if God does a new thing and opens up the ground and swallows them, then you'll know that I'm the one that God's anointed and I'm the one that God has called. And these guys are outside of God's will. What do you think is going to happen? Well, let's read on. Again, God's going to judge them. Verse 31, Now it came to pass, as he finished speaking all these words, he just, he just, he just gets done speaking. And it says, The ground split apart under them, and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them up with their households, all the men with Korah, with all their goods. So they and all those with them went down alive into the pit. The earth closed up over them, and they perished from among the assembly. Man, this is heavy. Can you imagine what it would have sounded like if you were standing nearby? The earth starts cracking open, and all of a sudden they're falling in. Women, children, all of their families falling into this pit alive. And they're screaming and they're crying out. You know, everybody, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. It's just a matter of when it's going to happen. And there will be those that will wait until beyond the point of weeping and crying and gnashing of teeth. They're going to wait until judgment finally comes. They reject the Lord. He loves them. I love you. I died for you. I want to have a relationship with you. I'm not interested. I love you. I, I want to have a relationship. I'm not interested. Eventually, God is going to give them their wish. That's what's happening here. They wanted to elevate themselves. They wouldn't heed the warnings that came. They just kept saying, we don't, we're going to stand our tent with our kids. We're not afraid. We know that we're righteous. We know that we're holy. We know that we're good. And we find that there's none righteous, no, not one. They're not in submission. They don't recognize that God's in control. Instead, they try to put themselves in a position of authority. And again, not just the men, but their whole households. And, you know, the sad part is, guys, can I talk to you for a second? If you're not being the spiritual leader in your home, you're going to impact your family. If you're not praying with your family, if you're not opening up the Word, if you're not being a Christ-like example to your children, the way you treat your wife, the way you love her, the way you minister to her. You know, it's been said that Christianity is, is often more caught than taught. My kids are going to see what I do a lot more than they hear what I say. I can tell them, love one another and, you know, be a brutal guy smacking my wife around. What will my children learn from that? They'll learn, oh, not love one another. If someone gets out of line, hit them. You know, I can say, hey, you know what, bro, son, don't respond in anger. And then somebody cuts me off on the free when I'm hanging out the window screaming at them. What is my kid going to learn from that? These children, sadly, because of their parents, reap the consequences of their, of their actions. May we be a Christ-like example at home. May we love our families and minister to our wives and our children. Same with you moms, you know. Your, your kids are watching you. I would hope that your, your, that your kids can say, that's what a godly woman looks like. Read Proverbs 31 go, oh, that's my mom right there. Oh, yeah. Her children raise up and call her blessed. And so we see here that sadly, because of the sins of the, of the fathers, it has impact on the entire family. Verse 34. Then all of Israel who were around them fled at their cry, for they said, let, let the earth... 
lest the earth swallow us up also. When did these guys finally run? When the ground opens up. You know, they're hanging real close by, and then the ground opens up, and they're like, we better get out of here. Judgment comes, and they realize it's not a good place for them to be, and they finally flee and run away. It's kind of like those who want to repent when they've been caught. You know, that's not really repentance. Repentance is, is coming before God and saying, Lord, please forgive me. Not saying, I'm sorry I got caught. It's, Lord, forgive me for my sin. What does repent mean? To what? To turn. It means to go in another direction. It's not living the same lifestyle over and over and over again and then asking God to somehow bless us or forgive us. Look at verse 35 through 40. Again, God's righteous judgment continues. But watch what happens here. And fire came out from the Lord and consumed the 250 men who were offering incense. So not only was it an earthquake and the earth opened up and people got swallowed, now fire comes down out of the sky and smokes all the guys holding the, the censers. You know, if I were not a priest, the last thing I'd want to be having holding in my hand is one of those. How about you? Amen? I mean, Nadab and Abihu had some. What happened? Now they got 250 guys holding these things in their hand, and they got smoke. I'd be like, you know, Aaron, that's for you, bro. I'm not touching that. Touch not the glory. That's your position. That's your calling. That's not my, I, hey, I'll carry the ark. Where's my pole? Let me carry it, right? Lord, I know my calling. I'll just, I'll just follow you, Lord. Instead of striving, and we see them striving here and trying to get that position and trying to get that authority, and we see what happens of those who come before God and try to put themselves in positions of authority when God has not called them. Trying to find, again, the wrong censor, the wrong incense, the wrong guy, the wrong fire. It's not acceptable sacrifice before God. There's no other sacrifice that will work outside of the one that God has ordained, and we all know that they all pointed to Jesus Christ. So what did pride bring? Destruction. If you have pride and you're striving in the flesh, you're going to end up in a pit or in the fire. Or sadly, for much of the world today, both. A fiery pit for all eternity. We see it right here. There's a pit that opens them up, and there's fire that comes down against those who say, I don't need to go through God's anointed. I can get there myself by my own good works, by my own preparation, in my own way. And it breaks the heart of God as we see that righteous judgment has to come upon them. We're almost done. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Tell Eleazar the son of Aaron, the priest, to pick up the censers out of the blaze, for they are holy and scatter the fire some distance away. The censers of these men who sinned against their own souls, let them be made into hammered plates as a covering for the altar because they presented them before the Lord. Therefore they are holy and they shall be assigned to the children of Israel. So Eleazar the priest took the bronze censers which those who had been burned up had, uh, had presented and they were hammered out as a covering on the altar to be a memorial to the children of Israel that no outsider who is not a descendant of Aaron should come near to offer incense before the Lord that he might not become like Korah and his companions just as the Lord had said through Moses. So these, these censers actually became holy because they were offered to God even though they were imperfect. So what did they do? They hammered them and made a covering for the altar with them. And the reason they made it is so that in future generations, if anybody saw that, that bronze covering, that would have been totally out of, wouldn't have made sense that it was there, they'd say, what is that for? Why is that there? Oh, let me tell you the story. It's because it's God's warning that no, no one outside of the children of, of Aaron are to serve as priests. And it's a warning against them. And let me tell you what happened. Remember, bronze in the Bible is a picture of what? Judgment. The bronze altar, right? 
bronze, gold deity, bronze judgment, as we saw as we were going through Exodus. Look at verse 40. And to be a memorial to the children of Israel that no outsider. Again, that reminder against those who would attempt to take the place of the high priest. Again, Jesus is the only high priest and the only way to heaven. Again, God's righteous judgment. Again, we're almost done. Thanks for your patience. Verse 41. On the next day, all the congregation of the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron, saying, you have killed the people of the Lord. Now, who are these guys? The next day. How short is these people's memory? The earth opened up and swallowed people. Now, did Moses do that? Fire came out of the sky and smoked 250 people. Did Moses do that or did God do that? God did it. And instead of saying, oh, fear and trembling before the Lord, they come against Moses and start bringing accusations against Moses. Moses and Aaron, you killed the people of the Lord. These were not the people of the Lord. These were the people of rebellion. Amen? These are the people who turned their back on God and were not serving the Lord. People were trying to elevate themselves. Verse 42. Now it happened when the congregation had gathered against Moses and Aaron that they turned toward the tabernacle of meeting and suddenly a cloud covered it and the glory of the Lord appeared. Look out. They came against Moses and Aaron again. He doesn't even call for the Lord. The Lord just shows up. Right? God's going to protect those that He's called. And we see there, Moses and Aaron, they're coming against him again, and oh, the cloud comes. All oh, presence of the Lord. Look at verse 43. Then Moses and Aaron became before the tabernacle meeting. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Get away from among the congregation, that I may consume them in a moment. He says it again. Mo, they're coming against you. You know what? I'm thinking, let's just, let's just roast them right here. Let's just, let me just take them out. They're, they're in rebellion against me. I can, just, I can just, real quick, they'll be done with. You won't have to deal with them anymore. You would think by about now, Moses might have said, okay, that's it. I, you know, they came against me, came against me, came against me, came against me. Moses doesn't do it. This is long before it was written, but he's got the 70 times 7 down, doesn't he? He's like, you just keep forgiving. How much has God forgiven me? Let's keep forgiving him. And look what it says there, verse 45. And they what? They fell on their faces. They interceded on behalf of the very guys who were yet coming against them. They didn't say, yes, all right, this is good, get them. No, they fell on their faces and said, Lord, forgive them. Lord, give them another chance. Lord, you know what? They're your people. I want to intercede on their behalf. I don't want to wreak vengeance, Lord. I want, I want to reach out to them. I want to love them. What an awesome guy Moses is. Again, because he's a picture of whom? Of Jesus, the deliverer that brought them out of bondage. Verse 46. So Moses and Aaron said, Take a censer and put fire in it from the altar. Put incense on it and take it quickly to the congregation. Make atonement for them, for the wrath has gone out from the Lord and the plague has begun. So guess what God did? They turned and fell on their faces and God sent a plague amongst them and they started dropping. They started dying. And as they were dying, what did Moses do? He turns to Aaron and says, Aaron, get a censer. Take the fire from the altar. Put the right incense in there and you go down and make atonement for them. You go and, and make sacrifice for forgiveness for what they've done. And look what it says in verse 47. This intrigues me. Then Aaron took it as Moses commanded and ran into the midst of the assembly. I might have walked. You know what I mean? I mean, they're all dropping a little bit. I'm like, oh, well, you know, a little, a little plague might be good. You know, there's a couple million of them out here. Maybe we wipe out 500,000. That would be a real good message, I think. And he could have just been strolling real slow, right? But he didn't do that. He ran. He ran to minister to the very people that were persecuting him. 
He ran to minister to the very people that were lying about him, making false accusations about him before Almighty God and before the congregation, lying. And instead he didn't say, oh, he said, now I want to love him, I want to minister to him. The Bible says you don't overcome evil with evil, you overcome evil with good. The Bible says a soft answer turns away wrath. Love those who come against you, amen? You don't respond that way. And we see the example right here, last few verses, and look what it says. For the wrath has gone out from the Lord, the plague has begun, that Aaron took it as Moses commanded and ran into the midst of the assembly. And already the plague had begun among the people. So he put the incense and made atonement for the people. And he stood between the dead and the living, so the plague was stopped. When did the plague stop? When he made atonement. He made atonement and he stood between the dead. We're on this side. The plague was traveling. People were dropping. He stood between the dead and the living. And when he made atonement, death stopped. It's pretty awesome, isn't it? Again, what's that a picture of? It's a picture of Jesus Christ. The plague of sin. And what restores sinful man back to holy God? Only a perfect holy sacrifice. And only Jesus Christ can do that because only he's God and only he's holy and only he's perfect. And he atoned for us with his shed blood. And the death stopped. The wages of sin is death. And these guys were dying, and he stood in with that atoning work, that picture of what Christ does for us, and the death stopped right there. Again, a clear picture of our Savior. Verse 49. And those who died in the plague were 14,700, besides those who died in the Korah incident. So Aaron returned to Moses at the door of the tabernacle of meeting, for the plague had stopped. Again, they interceded on behalf of the very people that were coming against them. And we see the consequence of rebellion, the 14,700 men did die. Because again, the wages of sin is death. But when the atoning work came in, the death stopped. You know, what is it about, in closing, what is it about the human heart that makes us so easily follow the crowd and disobey the Lord? Am I the only one that does that? Why do we do that? Why do we repeat the same sin over and over again? Why is it we don't learn from history? We look at, we look at the Israelites and we think, God, these, these guys are thick. Lord, God, they're so thick. Why do they keep doing this? You know, we look at the Lord and say, Lord, I don't understand these people. You know, I have to sadly say that in a lot of ways, I see me in those people. I see me. The Lord forgives me and blesses me and takes care. And then I strive and I do it again. And then I come against him again and I question God and I murmur against him when he loves me. He knows what's best for me. And instead of trusting my circumstances, Lord, where did you go? And, you know, it's interesting. We don't really learn from our, our mistakes. That really is the heart of rebellion. You know, it's interesting. As again, a quick side note. What was it that brought down, what was one of the things that became really prevalent that brought the Roman Empire down? What was it? Anybody know? Homosexuality. What was it brought down the Greek Empire? Homosexuality. When did God bring fire down on Sodom and Gomorrah? What was prevalent in the society? Homosexuality. What's prevalent in the United States today? It's getting worse every day, isn't it? Now, we hate the sin and we love the sinner. Amen? We minister to them, we love them, we preach Jesus to them, but we don't condone their sin, amen? And it is, it's a hardening of the heart. And what's happening is, just like history, we need to learn from what we've seen. And we need to know, come quickly, Lord Jesus, amen? And realize that we're living in, I believe, the end times. I mean, no man knows the day or the hour, and I'm not predicting the day because I don't want to be a false prophet, amen? God knows, but I want to live every day like it's tomorrow. And I, we should have a burden. This is Santa Cruz. What does Santa Cruz mean? Holy Cross, Santa Cruz, Holy Cross. My prayer is that God would bring revival here. And may it start in our hearts first, amen? So in review, may we learn from tonight's text to submit to those who God has put in authority over us. That means your boss at work. That doesn't mean you worship him, but you are a godly employee. We should be the best employees in the office, amen? 
Everybody should say, wow. I wouldn't want my boss to say, everybody, I want more people just like you. That God might be glorified. Not that we might be magnified, but that God might be glorified. Submit to those in authority over us. Be faithful in the calling that God has given us. Not be envious of someone else's calling. You be faithful to do what you're called to do. You know what? Not everybody's an ear. Or everybody's an eye. If everybody was an eye, where would be the hearing? We're a body of Christ. You have gifts I don't have. Amen? And God wants to use you. It's not the gifted few, it's the faithful many. We're all called. God saved you to use you for his glory. May you be faithful in your calling. Don't seek vengeance against those who come against us or are in rebellion against God. Let God deal with them. Amen? Pray for them. Isn't that hard to pray for the guy who's really a jerk at work? It's hard to pray for that guy. I told you the story. I had a guy at work that was just the biggest, I mean, he was a jerk. He would mock me. He'd come on my desk and ah, talk about Jesus. I'd be praying in the, with some guys at a Bible study at work, and he'd come by, ah, that Jesus was a great magician, ah, right? And he would just do this all the time, and I have to confess in my flesh, I just wanted to drop him like a bag of rocks, you know? I mean, I just, you know, in my flesh, I just want to get up and give him the forearm shiver, have a football flashback, and psh, you know? But the Lord's like, no, that, that's not what I want you to do. You don't overcome evil with evil, you overcome evil with good. And so, you know what finally happened? And it took me a while, because I'm thick. The Lord said, pray for him. Oh, no, not him. No, I, I pray, pray for him. Oh, not that. Oh, but he's a, he's a jerk, Lord. I don't want him to get saved, you know? <laughs> he's a jerk, right? I mean, sometimes, you know, certainly that wasn't my heart. But you know what I'm saying? You know how you think that? And I started praying for him. You know what happened? Six months later, I was baptizing that guy in my swimming pool. But it had nothing to do with me. It had everything to do with God. Start praying for those people. Instead of seeking vengeance, pray for them. And then... Pray and intercede on their behalf. And then lastly, it says this in Matthew 5. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. Pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be the sons of your Father in heaven. You want to be a son of your Father in heaven? Love people who don't love you. Minister to people who are, are brutal against you. Speak good things about those who lie about you. Love them. They shall know us by the love we have one for another. Amen? May we minister to people. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, and I thank you, Lord, just for the, the patience of everybody here tonight in a very long chapter. And I just pray, Lord, for each one of us as we go, that, Lord, you would minister to our hearts, and you would help us, Lord, to see the world through your eyes. Lord, that when people come against us, that we would realize, Lord, it's an opportunity for ministry. It's an opportunity not to reach out in vengeance like the world would, but to love them. Help us, Lord, to intercede on behalf of our co-workers and our neighbors and the people around us, Father, and especially those who have no peace, whose lives are a mess. Lord, I pray you just give us a, a supernatural burden to love them and to pray for them and to minister to them. Father, we love you and praise you. You're such a great and awesome God. Without you, we can do nothing. We are so desperate for you. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, amen. Let's stand and close the worship song.